0: And as we generally do, we have some uh, notes for our, our sermon today. We will use um, uh, Exodus 20, but also Exodus 20, um, actually verse 2, and then Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. And really and truly, what I think what uh, God is trying to share with us today, is what is the deal that you have with God? What's the deal you have with God? You know, we've been talking a little bit this month about missions and some of the responsibilities that we have as not only as individuals, but also as church. Are we, what part do we play in this great um, endeavor that God began, I would submit to you, with the calling of Abraham, way back yonder in Genesis. Today, we're going to take just a few minutes and remind ourselves of the deal that God offers and our part in that deal. Now, part of the problem that we have, I believe, in this day and in this place, not necessarily here, but in our our society, is that we human beings oftentimes do what human beings are good at which is manipulating, twisting, um, and especially twisting the deal that God offers to us because we don't really like like it. We want to be in control. We want to do what we want to do and not submit to God. So what's the deal you have with God? <clears throat> seems to me that most Christians deal with God as this. If I believe that Jesus is God's Son, that he died by crucifixion and was buried, and that he arose on the third day, I can have my sins forgiven. And I can go to heaven when I die. Is that the deal you have? Is that the deal you have? For the most part, that people that believe that deal, just that deal, continue to live like believers. I call that kind of straddle-the-fence faith. Is that the deal you have? Some would add, yes, all of that, but I must be willing to profess this Jesus as Lord and Savior. I must be willing to share this gospel with other people. This is the fence faith with an evangelistic um, kicker, if you will. Is that the deal you have with God? And then there are others who say, yes, I believe all of that. I believe Jesus died. He lived among us. He died. I believe He was buried. I believe on the third day He was resurrected. And I believe that if I believe that, that my sins can be forgiven. And that I will live in heaven after I die. But... This gospel goes on to say that we are called to live in the kingdom of God right now that we are called to be on the pro- in the process of transformation from what I am to what God intended me to be. This gospel says that we are co-laborers with God in bringing the kingdom of God to earth, and one day Jesus will make His appearance again to all people, and that He will finish this process of saving believers and redeeming His creation, and He will judge all people, believers and unbelievers, and after that, believers will be able to live in a perfect place called the new heaven and the new earth forever and ever. Is that the deal you yeah. have? Now, I have to be honest with you. I don't want the first deal. Don't want the first deal. I don't want the second deal. I want the whole ball of wax. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want the guilt and shame of my sins taken away. I want to be freed from the slavery of my sin. I want to be transformed into what God intended me to be. I want to live in the kingdom of God right now, right now, not when I die. And I'm willing to do what's necessary. I'm willing to do my part so that I can receive that which Jesus has promised. Now, hear me rightly. I'm not talking about work salvation here. Judaism tried it, and it's a failure. I'm talking about a salvation by grace. I can't earn it. God, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, offers it to me, to everyone. He's paid the penalty for my sin. He's paid it all. But as a result of what Jesus has done for me, I know that there are changes that need to happen in my life. Paul did say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is he who works in me to change me into that which he intended me to be when he laid the foundation of the world. And not only are there things that need to change in my life, and I have a role to play in that, there's also that need that there needs to be changes outside of my life. In society, and in the culture in which I live, and in the natural world. Jesus sends us, all of us, not just those special people called missionaries. He sends us all. Go and make disciples, he said. Now, he didn't say go and make disciples. Oh, just you guys and gals who are called missionaries. He said all you guys go. All you girls go. And we are co-laborers with God in this special project that God started so long ago with Abraham. Ephesians 1.9 tells us what that project is. To bring all things. All things. All things is all things. Everything. In heaven and on earth. Under one head. Jesus Christ. Exodus. 1 Peter and Revelation reminds us of the job that believers... We're called to be a nation of priests. What's a priest? A priest is someone who stands in between God and the people. And on one hand, he or she represents God to the people. And on the other hand, he represents the people to God. That's your job. Not just my job. That's your job. And Paul goes on to further describe our job. We are Christ's ambassadors. Ambassadors go and they speak for the nation in which they represent. You're called to speak for the one who has saved you. You're called to speak His truth. And earlier in that same chapter, Paul further describes our job. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. It is our job to share this gospel. One of the reasons we have Vacation Bible School, I believe, is so that we can offer, persuade, share, represent, be an ambassador to people in our community who aren't coming to church. And for me, one of the best ways to do that is through their children. Through their children. You know, about 25-28% to of the people that live in this community, go to church. 75% don't. Don't. There's a mission field right outside the walls of this church. So God says to me, yep, I've done the heavy lifting, but you have to play a part in this salvation process as well not only for your, in your own salvation, but in the salvation of those around you and in the regeneration of the natural order. And the Bible tells us what those steps are. First, believe. Second, decide that I want to obey Jesus. You don't have to do it. Just decide you want to. That's the second step in maturity. The third step then is begin to obey. And continue to obey more and more and more. Then as I obey Jesus, and the, the more and more I find myself being transformed, being changed, the John Thompson that is today is not the John Thompson that lived 25, 30, 40 years ago. He is a different human being. And the reason that he is different is not because of anything he has done, It's because of what, as the Bible says, as Philippians says, God has worked in me. In me. As I tell the boss, my wife, every now and then, if she knew me 40 years ago, she wouldn't have liked me. She wouldn't have. I'm different. Different. And after, finally, as a mature believer, not to say that I'm mature, but I'm striving, as Paul said. God gives us power to accomplish his plan for our life. But all that begins in Exodus 20, which people who study such things call the covenant of Sinai. So let's just take a look at a short passage of Scripture Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6, and then Exodus 20. Verse 2. Let's read first Exodus 19, 4 through 6. You, this is God speaking. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then skipping over to to Exodus 20, the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And I'll read verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery first question we have to ask as we begin to read this, and we need to understand what the deal is. The deal that God offers us, I will be your God and save you. You will be my people and obey me. That's the deal that God offers all through the Bible, beginning right here, right here. And the first question we have to ask is, what is a covenant? A covenant is a solemn promise made by a, a binding oath, which may be either ver, a verbal formula or a symbolic action. A Christian marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant between a man and a woman, and it's a covenant between them and God. Communion, when we have communion, that is a binding oath that you and I have made. Baptism is a binding oath that you and I have made. The action or verbal formula of that covenant is recognized by both parties, by God and by the people participating in as the act which binds the actor to fulfill his promise. When you walk down the aisle, whenever that was, for me it was at least 100 years ago, and I made my profession of faith. I was making a binding oath to God. And the oath would, I would keep my part of the deal. He will be my God, and I will obey him. I will obey him. God's covenant with his children, I will be your God and save you. You will be my people and obey me. That's the deal he offers. But as I said at the beginning of the sermon, that's not the deal you and I believe most of the time. Most Christians just want the fire insurance. You know what I mean? Most Christians just Lord Get me to heaven when I die. But other than that, leave me alone. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. The second question we have is how do I keep my part of the covenant? Well, in verses Exodus 20, verse 3, all the way through verse 17, he showed. And we call it the Ten Commandments. The first part, verses 2 through 11, speaks of God's relationship with each one of us. Okay, That's that vertical relationship. The second part of the Ten Commandments, verses 12 through 17, God shares with us the rules, the principles, if you will, of our relationship with each other. Now, these are commandments, but they're also principles. Others have summarized how God, uh, this how to do it part. The prophet Micah wrote, he has told O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Of course, the most famous summary is, is Jesus' is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, love God with everything you got. Everything you got. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. I cannot, as I said a million times, I cannot love my neighbor unless I am willing to love myself. Hear that? I have to be willing to take care of myself, mind, and body, and soul. And unless my cup is filled, I cannot love appropriately those people around me. Now, we see Micah and Jesus moving from salvation by works, which we see in Exodus 20, to salvation by faith. You see, because the principles that they speak of are to be written upon the mind and the heart. We're moving from works to grace. But it's Jeremiah, the prophet, who first is, is the first one to speak of this new covenant that was to follow the covenant Sinai. A covenant that is written on the minds and hearts of the believer. Turn with me to Jeremiah 33, if you would. And I'll read verses 31 through 34. The time is coming, Jeremiah writes, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. He's talking about this covenant right here. It's going to be a different covenant. How is it going to be different? Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will pour my law into their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Verse 34, no longer will a man teach his neighbor. Notice this distinction In this age, I would call it the age of the church, you and I are to teach each other the laws of God. We are to encourage one another, to teach one another. But there will come a time when that's not necessary anymore. This is the covenant, verse 34. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. You see, there's two times here Jeremiah is talking about. He's talking about the age of the church, which we're living in right now, where it's our job, a nation of priests, to share with those around us. Thus saith the Lord. But there will come a time, the new heaven and the new earth, when that's not necessary anymore. Because God's word will be on my heart, my mind, my soul. And I will obey. My salvation will be finished. Now the important thing to remember is that this new covenant is the same covenant as the one that God gave the people of Israel on Sinai. God will be your God and save you. You will be God's people and obey God. The difference is how the covenant is implemented. Here, salvation by works. In the New Testament, is salvation by grace. Unmerited favor. When we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus speaking about this new covenant that Jeremiah speaks in Mark and Luke. Jesus talks of this new covenant Mark 14, 24, the blood of the new covenant he says and Luke 22:20 20, this cup is the new covenant in my blood and in 1 Corinthians 11:25 Paul says Paul quotes Jesus this cup is the new covenant in my blood but now we're back to this first question what's the deal you have with God is it salvation by works There's certain things you must do. You know, come to church, read your Bible every day, pray, do those kinds of things. Don't cuss. Don't steal. The problem is no one except Jesus has to keep the Ten Commandments. Is it salvation by grace with little or no transformation? Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this cheap grace, and 2 Timothy called it having a form of godliness but denying its power. Lord, I just want the fire insurance. Just get me to heaven when I die. But that's not the deal he's offering. That's not the deal he's offering. The deal that he offers is made from guilt shame, it gives me overflowing joy. Salvation that empowers the believer to accomplish God's mission for the believer's life. It's a salvation that changes you from who you are to what God intended you to be. To live in the kingdom of God, which Jesus says is a whole lot better place to live than where most of us are living right now. What deal do you have with God? Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, for this time. We thank you for your truth that we find not only in Exodus 20, but also the New Testament that shares with us, Lord, the details of this deal that you offer that you will be our God and save us, that we will be your people and obey you. May we, O Lord, as your children, delve into this covenant, learn it, make it our own, write it upon our hearts and minds. As you said, the psalmist wrote, Thy word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin, We know, Lord, that it takes study hard work for us to play our part in finishing, working out our faith. Guide us, O Lord, to be not satisfied with the cheap grace of salvation. To accept a form of godliness without its power. May we be transformed by this gospel that you share through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we ask that if there are those among us who need to make a change, you've called us to do that this very day. We know, Lord, that there are some decisions that can be made in the heart as we stand. But there are also other decisions that you've called us to make public. And one of those is to walk with you, to share with others this decision of salvation. Guide us in the quietness of this moment to listen to your word, your voice, that we might choose to follow you. In Christ's name we pray i